Hey, welcome to Gospel Community Sermon Podcast. Thanks for listening in. We hope that uh, you enjoy what you hear and that we handle the word faithfully. We'd invite you, if you have any questions or want to attend a service, to visit www.gcctroy.com. If you would, uh, please uh, bow with me as we pray once more. Father, we come to you, Lord, grateful. Uh, God, thank you for the the way you've revealed yourself uh, to us clearly in your word. Lord, I just pray that this morning uh, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Uh, Lord, our whole lives are dependent upon you sustaining us, even in these moments that you give us now. So, Lord, we pray that you'd be glorified now in Jesus' name. Amen. So about 20 years ago, myself and a friend we pooled our meager little funds together back in 2004 to purchase something called a Michael Jordan rookie card. I got to tell you, we should have known better. The deal seemed a little too good, but the glass case on this card was so thick and it looked so real until we bought it and there was no way to return it. And then we took it to an expert and they said, it's fake. You guys got duped but that case is worth about $5. Our world is full of counterfeits in the physical world and in the spiritual world. And as a result, our world is incredibly confused. Have you noticed that? Of course you have. Uh, We aren't sure about some of the most basic elements of life in our world, such as gender, relationships, but most importantly, who is God? The confusion over who God is, though, it's nothing new. In fact, our text today, written about events thousands of years ago, is something so foolish, so embarrassing that happened that it's referenced throughout other parts of the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. In fact, as God's children are ready to enter into the promised land in the book of Deuteronomy, God tells the people this. He says, In Deuteronomy 9, he says, just remember, it's not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you're going to take possession of the land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And part of what God tells them about, you guys aren't as righteous as you think, has to do exactly with our text today in Exodus chapter 32. So what exactly was so bad about all of this? Uh, What was so wrong that one pastor calls this the uh uh-oh chapter of the book of Exodus? Well, let let me remind you that the last few weeks, we've been looking at the blueprints of the tabernacle, right? God is going to dwell among his people. God has not only told the people, this is how you're going to build, but this is what you're going to use to build. We've taken you through weeks of what the tabernacle will look like, what's going to be included, all the instructions. And even last week in chapter 31, God has even empowered his people to have the skills to do all of this building. And so you would think, chapter 32, we're ready to read about the construction of the tabernacle, right? Naturally. But that is not the case. So we pause this week for this sideshow of disobedience. Now, just a reminder that the setting for today's passage is at Mount Sinai. Got a picture up here, which is helpful to me because I'll confess, years past, I would think of the mountain. I would always think of the biggest sledding hill back in Hicksville, Ohio, where I grew up. 
very different. Well, this morning we begin our text in verse 1, obviously, but it's going to be at the foot of the mountain, so at the bottom of that mountain there. Let's read verses 1 through 6. It says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So to sum up these first six verses, we see God's people sinning. And it begins with their impatience. Moses has been up on the top of this mountain with God, and he's been there roughly 39 days at this point. And the people are saying to themselves, where's Moses? Is he coming back? He is 80 years old. Uh, We see smoke and fire at the top of this mountain, but we don't see Moses. What's happening? Well, something needs to be done because Moses isn't here. And so we want someone to lead us and guide us. And if you remember back in Exodus chapter 13, it says how the Lord would go before his people in a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night to give them light. So these people are impatient. They say, who's in charge here? Moses is gone. Let's go to Aaron, who is Moses' brother. And so the people gather around Aaron and they say, make us gods who shall go before us. Now, the Hebrew word here, it could be make us a god or gods. Probably says gods in your English text, which is fine. But Aaron does exactly this, which isn't fine. These people may no longer be slaves, physical slaves in Egypt, but they are still slaves to sin and their own desires. These people are ready to go. They've got unanswered questions, and oftentimes our impatience and unanswered questions in life can lead to compromise. We think, what's going on? What's the hold up? God must not be at work, when indeed he is. We just don't see his hand at work in that moment. So the people say, hey, it's, it's time to get moving forward. Why are we still here at the foot of this mountain? And yet we're only three months since they were slaves in Egypt. They quickly slip into idolatry, creating a golden calf, something they could see and touch instead of trusting the unseen God who had delivered them, the invisible God. Invisible God, you say? Yes. Let me quote from a couple verses in the New Testament. In Colossians, Paul writes about Jesus. It says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. God. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. So our God is not something we can see or craft together, but the people want something they can see. So Aaron says, all right, take the earrings off, take the gold jewelry 
And he should be saying, you guys want to graft an idol? Here's the answer, no. No, never. Kill me first before we would ever do this. Because Aaron knew what God said about idols. Aaron is 83 years old at this point. This isn't a mistake of his youth. So Aaron does what the Egyptians do back in Egypt. You make a physical God that you can see. Now, where did this gold come from anyways? Well, if you remember, it was called the plunder of the Egyptians, right? As Israel was leading Egypt, they're saying, good, leave, take all these goodies with you and go. But instead of a way to honor God, they're dishonoring him. So they're melting these earrings together to make a calf. And I was thinking about this. How hot do you need to have a fire to melt gold? Not that this is ever going to be a problem in my life, having surplus gold to melt. But a campfire in the backyard, you need to double the heat of that. Or if you ever go out to Jason McCoy's property, oh, he's not here with us at the moment. That fire is probably, I don't know, 58,000 degrees. Very, very hot. But what does Aaron do? This is all intentional, right? This is all thought through. This isn't something you just do in a 30-second gap. Oops, we made the calf. It takes time to make a fire with this type of heat. It takes time to gather from thousands of people this gold to melt down. This is a deliberate, thought-through act of disobedience. So then Aaron is there. He crafts this thing. And it's a golden calf. And then he presents it to the people. He says, behold, your gods, we even brought you out of Egypt. And you think, why exactly did they pick a golden calf? Um, one credible historian states all the way back in Egypt, there was a goddess who was depicted as a calf. It had a woman's body with a cow's head. She was a goddess of traveling mercies and a goddess of slaves. And in Exodus, they set up golden calves because they were slaves on a journey. Now they can call it Yahweh. They can say, this is the God who delivered us out of Egypt. But at the end of the day, it's just melted gold formed into the shape of this image. The Israelites and Aaron knew better. And Aaron, maybe for sake of his own reputation, says tomorrow we'll have a celebration for Yahweh. But the people do get up early the next day. They have this celebration. And it's so grievous, like I said, it's talked about in other places of Scripture. But um, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, and he says, this, what was done here in Exodus 32, incredibly evil. And this is recorded as an example that we may not desire evil as they did. So there's nowhere in the Bible that gives an approval to this. Now, the golden calf, got a picture of what it could be like. It probably wasn't that nice looking, but roughly this is what they have. This is their God. So this is happening at the bottom of the mountain, but at the top of the mountain, Moses has been enjoying fellowship with God. It's hard to imagine that, but Moses has been with God. He'll be there for a total of 40 days. The Bible says he hasn't even been eating or drinking for 40 days. Read that, you think, how can someone survive without food and water that long? Well, when you're in the presence of God, you are plugged into the sustainer of all life. It's no problem whatsoever. But God is about to tell Moses on top of the mountain what is happening at the foot of the mountain. 
So let's look at Exodus 32, starting in verse 7. Read to verse 10. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people, whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. God says, I know exactly what's happening. I have had it with these people. I'm ready to start completely over, and I'm going to begin with you, Moses. What does he say in verse 9 about these people? He says, they are a stiff-necked people. A stiff neck. This is a term in farming back then. Say you have an ox and you want him to go left. Go left. You get a thing. You prod him, go left. He's not going left. Try to get him to go right. He's not going right. He's not doing anything that you want him to do. He's incredibly stubborn and difficult to lead. And God says, just like these animals that won't obey, you're just like them. And as you read stiff-necked people, Every time it comes up, it's never a compliment. In fact, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, Stephen is giving this long history of Israel to his fellow Israelites. And he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised and hardened ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Strong words saying, man, they're difficult, difficult people. Now, to my surprise, I traced it not only through the Old, but the New Testament, and even found great, 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 great grandkids of these folks nowadays, and in one man's profile, he actually wrote, I'm a a stiff-necked man. He's an Israelite. He's a Jewish man. And so I had to message him, whoa, you're stiff-necked? You're saying that? So I said, you know, because let's be honest, this is over Twitter. And so you got to be real nice to people. But I said, is this, is this a joke? Or, you know, or is this a badge of honor? Is this a joke? Or does this mean something else? And he said, it's the first one. It's a badge of honor. And he sent me an article as to why being stiff-necked is actually a good thing. No, being stiff-necked is not a good Thing. Yes, we should be firm and resolved to say no to sin, but we should be ready at any moment's notice to adjust and say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm not stiff-necked. I am flexible. I am wanting to obey. Yet these people here are stiff-necked, and God is relaying this to Moses because Moses is up there. Now he knows. Moses says, God, what? You're going to destroy all of them? Look at verse 11. It says, Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger. Relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, Israel, your servants to whom you swore your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and the land I have promised. I will give to your offspring. 
and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster he had spoken upon bringing to the people. So Moses says, God, why are you so mad at these people? Well, because of their idolatry. You know, your people are no longer slaves. God brought them out of idolatry. And Moses is saying, if you destroy them, if you kill, and these people, and there's hundreds of thousands of dead Israelite bodies throughout the desert, the Egyptians are going to find this, and they're going to think, wow, so their God brought them out of slavery just to kill them? Moses is saying, God, this is about your glory. This is about your reputation. Remember Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Remember these men in the book of Genesis. You made this promise to them. They will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand and the sea. Can't kill them. Remember the promised land. You promised. So Moses pauses for response from the Lord. And we see in verse 14, what the Lord does. He says, he, he relents, right? He says, I'm not going to bring this disaster upon these people. The Israelites are spared, but they still need to be dealt with. And Moses, you, it's your turn. You need to go down and see what I just described to you. Go to the bottom of this mountain. So in verse 15, Moses turns and he goes down the mountain with the two tablets of testimony in his hand. Scholars say these are the Ten Commandments here he's holding. He goes down. The tablets were the work of God. Verse 16, the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua, who's midway down the mountain, he hears the noise of the people as they shouted. He's with Moses. He says, there is noise of war in the camp. But he said, it's not the sound of shouting for victory or, or the sound of the cry of defeat, but it's the sound of singing I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Now Moses is seeing this gross idolatry with his own two eyes. You know, it's one thing to hear about problems from a distance. It's another thing to see them face to face. Over Christmas break, um, I was at my parents' place up in Hicksville, and one evening, it was just me and them, and we were watching TV, and we flipped to the Smithsonian Channel. And for the first time in my life, I didn't realize this footage existed, but like the Battle of Iwo Jima in World War II, actually had guys, probably shoulder cameras back then, they were videotaping battles that were going on. I didn't know this footage existed. It was colorized. It was very obviously real. You're seeing bombs go off. You're seeing dead bodies. And it hit me in a way that never hit me when I read about it in school. It hit me in a way that I could never even start to comprehend. And I'm not saying I fully grasp all of it, but it was one thing to hear about it. It's another thing to see it with your own eyes. It impacts you. It's such a deeper level. And the respect I have for the people who have fought for our country, it just multiplied so much because I saw it with my eyes. And yet here we have Moses who's seeing this with his own eyes, but his respect isn't growing for the people. In fact, his anger is the only thing that's rising because of their great sin. So what does he do? He sees the golden calf. He sees the dancing, which is not good dancing. So he throws the tablets out of his hand. He breaks these commandments. Moses could have had flashbacks. What was it like back in Egypt? 
All we had back there was idolatry, and now we're bringing the same mindset here? What's happening? The very writing of God is thrown to the ground. These people aren't getting the point. Kind of like Jesus and the disciples. Jesus is like, you're with me, you're listening. And then they say or do something totally opposite. You think that they're not getting it. So Moses needs answers, right? What in the world has been happening here? He's enjoying sweet fellowship with God for 40 days on the mountain. And now he sees this. And Moses is ready to say, this isn't God. You know, I was just with him. Uh, It's really easy to uh, see this counterfeit when you know what the real thing is. And Moses is thinking this is nothing more than melted down gold. The more we get to know the true God and his word, the easier it is to spot the counterfeit. Anytime you're in your community group, anytime you're at home and you're reading the Bible, that is never, ever time wasted. You're getting to know God. You're going and you're gaining a deeper knowledge of who God is. And then you can take that knowledge, that understanding. So when you turn on the TV or some preacher comes up on YouTube or you're listening to the radio or two people knock at your door, you're prepared and equipped. You can know the truth so you can spot the counterfeit and then point those people to the truth. Well, the first instinct of Moses, we see he breaks the tablets onto the ground. The second instinct is he destroys the calf. Look there in verse 20, he takes the calf they'd made. They burn this thing to the ground. They ground it to powder. They scatter it on the water and he has the people of Israel drink it. This is really odd. He's saying, you know, that powerful God, that cow, not so powerful. He's in your drinking water. He's being drank by you right now. It's very weak. But it doesn't stop there. Moses' brother Aaron is there who oversaw this whole big mess. He's got to know what happened. So look at verse 21. Let's see what happened. Moses says to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So I said to them, let anybody, let anyone who has gold take it off. So they gave it to me. I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. The whole story is true, except for the very end. And I kind of doubt other details as well. We just melted it and it came out. Now, the funny thing is as well, the writer of Exodus is Moses. Moses is like, when I'm going to record this account, I will be recording the true story and your account of it. But Aaron folds, right? He folded earlier with the people. He lies to his brother Moses. And I have to tell you, when you read in Deuteronomy chapter 9, Moses is reflecting years later on this instance, and he gives more detail about what happens on the mountain and his encounter with God. But one of the details that sticks, sticks out to me is God says, I'm going to kill the people, but I'm definitely going to kill Aaron as well. And Moses is thinking like, I, I know what's going on. I know your sin. And I asked God to spare you, and he did. Just tell me the truth. But Aaron lies, and we see Aaron here. He's not any type of a leader. This isn't caring or leadership to just give everyone what they want, whatever they want. But God puts leaders in charge, not to just listen to random 
opinions, but God puts leaders in charge to listen to God. And then out of that listening to God to lead the people. So how do we know for sure that this golden calf isn't God, um, the true God? Well, first of all, it's a violation, right, of the second commandment. You shouldn't make for yourself a carved image. And also, um, God, the true God, is saying, this isn't me. This is wrong. God has given his disapproval to Moses. And another big idea, people are still alive, right? That's how we know this is not the real God, because no one can just look at God and be in his holy presence and just somehow live. But all these people are living and dancing and sinning in front of this calf. So it's not real. It's not true. Jesus said this, he said, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. We see the true God is replaced with lesser things. And to even try to craft an image of God, we say, well, I'm trying, I'm doing my best. Well, your best is not good enough. Any way we can even conceive of God in our mind of what he looks like will always fall short and diminish his glory. And ultimately, our hope shouldn't be in physical things, but our faith should be in our unseen God and in his written word. And sometimes the more images we need to prop us up, maybe it reveals our lack of faith in what he's spoken. Well, judgment continues to fall. Look at verse 25. It says, and when Moses saw the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him and said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put the sword on your side, each of you go to and fro, gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. Moses breaks the tablets. This golden calf is melted down. People have drank it. And now people are being killed. These people have broken loose, also known as these people are out of control. And so Moses has to say, you know, let's get this straight. Who's with the Lord? Who's not with the Lord? 3,000 are killed. Thousands are dead because just of this violation. Yes. It may seem extreme, right? From our perspective, from our sin-tainted tainted perspective, When you look at the verses even leading up to it, what does he call these people? These are a stiff-necked people. Sometimes God has to take extreme measures to get people's attention. And before you think, man, 3,000 kill, how could God do that? Well, don't forget, Adam and Eve, the sin that happened in the garden still affects us to this day. The flood back in Genesis wiped out everyone on earth except for Noah and his family. God, once the people are brought into the promised land, he uses pagan nations to ultimately punish and take his people out of the land. 
And even if you think, well, that's the Old Testament God. New Testament God, he's different. Well, it's the same God, but even as you read in the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira, husband, wife, they conspire together to tell a lie, and they both die. And you just think, what? Yes, sin is incredibly serious. Sin is incredibly costly. Found this, someone said this, they said six ways sin is costly. Real quickly, this is by no means exhaustive, but when we sin, we greatly offend God. When we sin, we deserve the sentence of death. When we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We suspend the exercise of faith. We severely wound our conscience. And sometimes we lose the awareness of grace for a time. Sometimes God's judgments are very quick. Other times it may seem like, where is the justice? He's so lenient. Well, God is incredibly patient, but I promise you this, no sin will go unpunished. In his time, he will take care of all the injustice in the world. And how could us, right, as mere humans, limited perspectives, sin-tainted perspectives, people that have been around 20, 30, 40, 50, even say 100 years, how could we ever stand in judgment of God who has been around forever, who's completely pure and holy and knows every thought and deed and is full of all wisdom? How could we ever stand in judgment of him? Well, we couldn't. We couldn't. Well, as we finish up our chapter here, look at verse 30. After these 3,000 have been killed, it says, the next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They've made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now lead the people to the place When I visit, I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel will go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Last verse of the chapter there, and it says, And then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. Sin is incredibly costly, and Moses realizes this, and he even volunteers in verse 30. Look at it. He says, I will go up to the Lord, perhaps... He can crush me on your behalf and you can live. And God says, no, Moses, you can't. Moses is a servant of God. He's a leader for God, but he is an insufficient, unacceptable sacrifice to God for this task. The debt is too great, Moses. You can't pay it. You don't have enough good to merit your own saving, let alone anyone else. And just like us, We don't have enough righteousness in ourselves to merit any eternal destination. But it's Christ, and it's his righteousness alone. So verse 35, like I said, and then final verse here, God sends a plague on the people. So the punishment is continuing. And you think of all this, you think, well, what is the point of this story? You know, we went through a lot of verses, a lot to think about. Um, Well, later in Deuteronomy, 
Moses, he talks about the Lord is going to raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. So someone else much better is coming. And we see that today the Israelite people sought a substitute for God, but praise God, he has sent a substitute for us because that's exactly what we need. We see Jesus and Moses. There are similarities if you look at their life. Uh, here in this story, Moses was able to kind of keep God's wrath at bay from crushing all of his people. Yet what does Jesus do? He holds off God's wrath and is able to present you blameless before God's throne. Moses intercedes for thousands of his people not to be physically destroyed. That's good. But Jesus always lives to intercede for Jews and Gentiles, totaling billions over the last thousands of years who will never be destroyed for all eternity. The law of Moses, those 10 commandments, they show us that we do not measure up. We cannot keep those commandments. Yet the life of Christ shows us that indeed, wow, he does measure up. He obeyed all those laws perfectly and trust and hope in him alone is how we can be forgiven. So at the beginning, I mentioned the golden calf incident has been remembered for thousands of years, right? Talk about in the old, the new, and here we are in 2024 talking about what happened so long ago. And they're getting ready to enter into the land. And when they do, God says, just remember, it's not because you're so great, but it's because of my kindness to you. Their great sin, right? The title of the sermon, the great sin or a great sin is what? Well, they made this God of gold and let there be no confusion today. There are no gods that can be crafted by human hands. There is no hope to be found in anyone else other than the true God and in Christ. Counterfeits abound and to trust in any of those counterfeits is foolish. There is one hope, and it's not in your church attendance. It's not in being religious. It's not in anything you can muster up. But the Bible says this, as great of a mediator Moses was for these people, there is one far greater. In 1 Timothy 2.5, it says this. It says, there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus, who died in our place, for our sins, was buried and rose three days later. That is our mediator. That is our only hope of forgiveness. And I like, as we close now, we look at what Jude says. Jude says this at the end of his letter. He says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. We are blameless if you are trusting in Christ, not because of yourself, not because of 5% you can do and 95% of what Jesus can do. No, it's 100% him, all glory to him to present you blameless before our God. Praise God. Pray with me, please. Father, please, uh, Give us tender hearts, Lord, uh, hearts that believe that sin is serious, God, and that you are holy, so much more holy than we could imagine. Uh, Lord, our whole lives, 
physically and spiritually and for all eternity are dependent upon you and upon your grace. So Lord, I pray that we would be trusting in you in your grace through Christ. God, we love you. We pray that we would not be a people who are inflexible, Lord, but people who are led by your spirit all to your glory, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.